Welcome to Season 3, Episode 5 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is Thomas Kendall. Thomas is a writer. His debut novel, Autodidacts, is out now through Whiskey Tip Press. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Thanks for having me, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming on. How is your life in London at the moment? Oh, it's good. It's good. It's a hectic. hectic. I think I was just standing in my son has just started a new nursery. So uh, it's just down the road, which is good. You don't have to travel too far, but... And he's liking it, but, you know, he's a bit on edge or a bit sort of mm. tense at times. So we all have like, ah, it's very hectic, but I'm on half time at the moment from school. So it's, yeah, having some time off is good. Yeah. Well, you're telling me that you were teaching, but then you're telling me about your life before, you know, London as well, which we'll get into in a moment. But with your teaching, what are you doing at the moment? Uh, I'm teaching in like a, in a French school. Um, we, I'm teaching a kind of, we have doing teaching a sort of Shakespeare play at the moment so it's it's very like challenging in some ways <laughs> but yeah I'm enjoying it it's nice it's all good. how's that political turmoil going in the UK at the moment because it's all a bit crazy from the reporting oh uh, it's it's horrible <laughs> everything is so like ugly and horrible politically and sort of socially and you know, everything is like, there's a cost of living crisis. So everything is stressful in that sense. But I'm, I mean, trying to maintain hope that, you know, we can get rid of, <laughs> we can get rid of the Tories, then at least there's some possibility of, of I don't know, something better coming along. But yeah, <laughs> it's very like, it's very depressing at the moment. Before you got to London, you're telling me about your time in Peru. Um, with your Peruvian wife, which sounds absolutely fascinating. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. We, we moved over in uh, 2017 because uh, my wife's from Peru and we just kind of wanted wanted to see what it was like to kind of, you know, live over there and, and to experience. And, yeah, it was it was good. I mean, I found it was a bit of a culture shock when I sort of first moved uh and i've sort of shamefully <laughs> never really learned how to speak spanish even after being there for so many years um but yeah it was it was an interesting place to live it is also a place of a lot of political turmoil no like every i think there's something crazy like there hasn't been a peruvian president who hasn't been kind of indicted or something uh during that term every few years the daughter of a dictator runs for president you know like it's a constant it's also a constant sort of time on and then sort of during the pandemic and we had our had our first we had our child and um uh, we were thinking you know where do we sort of want to be and that's when we kind of decided to to come back to, to london yeah peru sounds insane like all of central and south america sounds insane in terms of corruption and all the other stuff that goes on there but that must have been a pretty crazy few years you spent there yeah yeah I mean it was sort of it was you know it's a beautiful country in in a lot of ways uh but the sort of the social structure and the kind of uh, poverty in certain areas you know it's 
it's it's difficult but i think not speaking a language and sort of not uh not being so sociable even mm-hmm. i think it, it made it you know i tended to sort of uh stay in just a few places so i probably should have i should have been more expansive when i was there but Well, before that, let's go back and go back to where you grew up. So you grew up in Dorset, didn't you, which is in the south of England. Do you want to tell us about growing up there? Yeah, um, Dorset is like uh, like a small sort of seaside town. Um, Not a sort of great deal of things to do as a kind of young person, I guess. Uh, Not sort of too much... uh, much culture or anything sort of like that but uh it has an interesting kind of scenery now and it has like there's some kind of uh you know robbie louis stevenson wrote treasure island there there's some sort of like interesting things about it it's very bleak during the winter and then very very like uh touristy in the summer so it has you know it's a place of those kind of contrasts i guess yeah and it is by the sea isn't it yeah 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 it's by the sea yeah yeah it's like being like we walk into the beach in the sort of night time you know that's that was kind of (laughs) a sort of social life I guess yeah well with that in terms of setting I want to move on to your novel The Autodidacts it's out through Whiskey Tit at the beginning of the novel we meet Helene her husband Lawrence and their baby daughter Evelyn we're in 1982 they live in a seaside town it's got a lighthouse in the hill. There's a man living in the lighthouse and he disappears without a trace, leaving only a notebook. And this mystery not only engulfs Helene, but it continues to affect her daughter years later. Do you want to tell us a bit more about the setup of your novel and your protagonists? Um, yeah, I've always sort of struggled with sort of describing how to... I think it's very much, in a way, the kind of what I think propels a novel uh, is is the kind of way that it's structured uh, between the two halves of it. That's what sort of generates the kind of momentum of the, the narrative. So the kind of the central kind of uh, engine at the beginning is this kind of mystery. You know, uh, this kind of uh, the the disappearance in the lighthouse and the kind of subsequent way it sort of echoes uh, through the rest of the story. And then it was a case of kind of building around that certain uh, scenes that could kind of be be echoed in the kind of second half. So quite often, like, the two parts would be kind of being written around the same time. I guess with the novel, like, as you said, it's structured into two parts. It's told over different time periods over the course of almost 20 years. I think we start in 1981, basically, and we go all the way through to 97. But do you want to tell us a bit more about that? I guess the idea of that disappearance uh, at the beginning of the novel and the way it does echo through the book and to the characters as it kind of moves down, like through a generation. Yeah, I think disappearance is, I don't know, it's a kind of fascinating sort of idea for me or there's a kind of, I think it's the whole novel is kind of structured around a certain kind of fantasy of disappearance like as if disappearance was possible in some way and that that disappearance could in the act of disappearing permeate through kind of the rest of reality so 
that is uh, sort of the idea of the, the disappearance of kind of the various, you know, the first character and then the way that notion of kind of disappearance kind of spreads or, or infects the kind of characters in the second or perhaps even, uh, you know, whatever the kind of relations you want to choose between how you read them together, not because it's meant to be, have, you know, it's meant to be open to kind of various uh, uh, readings in that sense. So that kind of notion of disappearance is is that I, is a kind of idea of uh, it's sort of paradoxical. So there's a desire to sort of disappear, but then there's a desire to kind of disappear in a way that's purely sort of physical, or to kind of disappear and somehow sort of become a kind of consciousness. And the book, I think, is is an attempt to kind of realize that idea or kind of realize the failure of that idea. Mm. That's one of the things I think uh, that, yeah, that kind of drives the book for me, I think. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, the, the main characters in the book? So you've got Helene and Lawrence and Evelyn, their daughter, and you've got another kind of cast of characters. You've got a detective, you've got the guy in the lighthouse, and you've got some other characters in there. Do you want to just tell us, I guess, a little bit about your main characters? Uh, the main characters... Uh... Well, in sort of the second half of the novel, uh, because I think in some ways you could, there's an argument to be made that they're the sort of primary characters, mm -hmm. I think, uh, possibly. Uh, Fiasco is kind of based on, not entirely, but there's a certain, there's a part, part in the kind of first part of the novel where uh, there's a conversation between Helene and the detective uh, where they talk about the kind of use of how uh, the person who disappeared used real people's names in his fiction. So that's something that I wanted the book to do kind of at a sort of different level. So certain characters are named after real people I know or sort of uh, superficially based on certain aspects of them, but the, in no way sort of are supposed to sort of be them. Uh, so yeah, and, and sort of Henry, I think, it's a sort of fictionalization maybe of the kind of teenager I was in many ways. Um, and Lawrence, Lawrence is a character that I would just invented to sort of torture, I think in many ways, or I wanted to sort of portray somebody that I would find sort of in many ways sort of repulsive, but then develop a sort of sympathy towards them. So he becomes the kind of character that undergoes sort of all the humiliations mm. uh, that can be sort of thrown at him narratively, uh, and isn't you know you know isn't very likable even <laughs> in in that. But uh, yeah, there was a way like the tribulations of his character uh, was sort of part of the an important part of the process of the novel, I guess, at a kind of level, and then. Uh, Helene doesn't really have, uh, yeah, they're just kind of purely sort of fictional. No, I needed sort of, mm. I had the kind of base idea of what I wanted the relationships to be. And then the sort of characters came about through kind of, I don't know, a lot of editing <laughs> and a lot of uh, rewriting, I think. Yeah. Well, this idea of repetition, I think, throughout the novel, because I think this event just ripples through the whole novel, it kind of reminded me of that idea of like almost intergenerational trauma, but do you want to speak a bit more about 
I guess, that structuring novel where it is kind of circuitous in a way. Yeah, yeah, I think that is that is um that is a good reading of it. Uh, there is a kind of a balance that I wanted the novel to strike between the sort of possibly supernatural and the kind of very real <laughs> no. Mm. Um and yeah, I think the idea of the relationships between that you have when you are younger to the relationship you have with yourself when you're older or when you know, the people, the authority figures you had when you were younger and the way unconscious things get passed on. No, I think that we're always sort of coming to aware an awareness, no, like, oh, that's, where's this from? Where, where is this behavior? If I recognize some behavior, like, where is this, what is this sort of happening? Uh, so the book, the book is, yeah, sort of an attempt to, an attempt to sort of imagine, I think, maybe uh, a coherent relationship between between those two kind of ideas, if that makes sense. I'm not, yeah. sure, I'm not sure I'm making any sense at no, all. No, I think that does make sense, actually. Okay, I can see that. With the novel, um, I want to ask you about setting and also about where you grew up as well. But your novel set in a small coastal town. It's got a lighthouse. Um, I was immediately reminded of stories like the Final Isle Lighthouse disappearance in 1900 or even, you know, the Goodwin uh, lightship disaster. What is it about that kind of setting that inspires you? Uh, it, yeah, we were, you sort of, we were talking about this sort of a little bit before and I was like, oh, I don't know any of these stories. Mm. <laughs> I felt so terrible. <laughs> I was like, I wish I'd known them when I was kind of uh, writing the book. Uh, I think... I had this kind of always when I was kind of because the book took a long time to kind of write and a long time to kind of come together. But in every sort of iteration, there was a kind of lighthouse at the center of it. And I really didn't sort of stop to sort of think about why that was until kind of much later sort of mm. in, in the process. And I think it was, uh, I think in some ways it's so right for the kind of, imagery or ambience I wanted to go for that it wasn't like um yeah it was just like okay I just trust that that's doing what I wanted to do yeah. and now thinking about it it's like ah oh, actually you know this was a very fortunate <laughs> sort of mm. thing I think there's something about the isolation you know now thinking about there's something about the isolation and care involved in the idea of being a kind of lighthouse people or that there's a sense of sort of uh duty you know like a duty to a duty even in your loneliness to kind of uh, protect or sort of guide people or guide mm. yeah, guide things safely. And then the sort of the fact that, you know, the lighthouse is sort of malfunctioning in a sort of a place of uh, decay, you know, and yeah. how that sort of relates then, I think, to maybe what we were sort of saying with uh, intergener intergenerational trauma, you know, in the sense of the, uh, how... Yeah, not I mean, not even sort of trauma. Maybe it's much more sort of uh, normal than that. No, just how sort of relations. <laughs> I don't know how relations sort of affect or can lead to unexpected results. I guess. Mm. Within this book, there's quite a lot of little elements that I really enjoyed, and there's elements where you know we're hinted at people having affairs and people doing the wrong thing. We've got you know a disabled 
boy, I think, who comes up, like, within the story as well. There's lo- lo- lots of little elements of kind of your normal family kind of drama stuff. But then you do have this almost supernatural element. Um, mixing those two things, I think, works so well in this book. But can you tell us a bit about, I guess, that idea of mixing the mundane and the and the supernatural, I suppose, in a way? Yeah, I think, I mean... One of the things I've always sort of uh, I sort of struggled with as a kind of writer is this kind of uh, narrative or kind of plot <laughs> in a kind of way. Like I always wrote sort of uh, things always emerged in a kind of much more imagistic way or like uh, yeah, like in that sense. So I was always kind of writing before like very sort of abstractly, but finding it very difficult to to locate it you no know, in anything that would mm. be like readable <laughs> or like you know of interest to anybody and then I was you know kind of growing up and kind of warm up and you know when you have sort of friendships you have sort of very you know for me um you know I grew up in quite a sort of secluded uh, fashion in some ways because of you know uh, it's kind of a religious uh background and then sort of a friendship that I had kind of uh, sort of after leaving that was very intense and we have a desire as a kind of mythology you know to kind of friendships at a certain age and uh, when I thought okay maybe I want to write about about uh, about this no to kind of make it give it some meaning in some way I, I don't know that, that sounds bad I don't know mm. yeah something along those lines so then when I started thinking okay you know, if I'm going to write, uh, write about here, how am I? You know, I can't do it in a kind of realist way. That's not. That's not. Uh, I can't write like that. So yeah, then kind of being able to match up the sort of events and the kind of way the events feed into the the abstraction and finding that the two kind of can cohere was, yeah, kind of the key to to getting that down I think okay does that make sense I feel like I'm doing a terrible job <laughs> no, no no it does make sense actually one of the things I wanted to ask you more about is is I guess your religious upbringing I know one of the characters in the book like one of the friend of Helene's at the beginning of the book who's very who's quite religious but what was your religious upbringing uh I don't want to sort of say too too much about it just because uh not yeah but in the sense that it was, I would say, very, uh, like there was a lot of kind of rules and a lot of like, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to socialize with anybody who isn't in the religion and yeah. sort of um, uh, very kind of puritanical in that sense, no? Like, yeah. and it was when I left, uh, sort of when I left when I was sort of 16, 17, it was, that was, I think also, you know, that's, also kind of genesis for the novel or something because it was such a like explosion of possibility and at the same time like oh my goodness <laughs> like what's what's going on like uh yeah. so yeah that's that's sort of it was and I have like you know a, a complex relationship with it I guess yeah <laughs> but... that's really interesting okay well growing up in Dorset were there any spooky happenings like in the town where you grew up and lived? Um, not 
not really like you know the odd kind of pub that people say is sort of haunted in the basement or like mm -hmm. um we have like i don't know there's you know it's quite a gothic town in some ways and mary shirley is kind of, we went back kind of last week actually to visit some family and we went to sort of see mary shelley's grave mm -hmm. so there's a kind of uh tradition of that kind of uh I don't know, isolation gothic kind of thing yeah uh, but yeah no almost like a really kind of commercial uh yeah has a kind of ind indie scene but it's mainly mm -hmm. sort of you know, like tourism and kind of <laughs> yeah okay with this book like i feel like it's got a really filmic quality to it i think you were saying before that you use like kind of image i guess with a lot of your writing but i wanted to ask were there some specific influences in your writing of this book whether they were filmic or you know fictional or written yeah yeah i mean i think um i think cinema is a really big uh influence on sort of on yeah just on the way I sort of perceived the perceived the world not so I think in a sense if I was to kind of think about kind of specific films uh, I would think last year at Marion Bad is mm -hmm. a film that I I love no and it's by Alan Robert Grillet kind of wrote the screenplay uh, so yeah that that film in, in its kind of it's sort of unsettling kind of qualities and repetition and kind of uh, but also highly highly sort of stylized but still emotionally real mm. I love it I love it uh, I guess David Lynch is is a big influence uh, in again I think in a way that's sort of how you can join the kind of mundane with something with a kind of I don't know metaphysical horror underneath it um and yeah lots i remember reading um uh i think probably because of the dennis group blog reading uh robert bresson's notes on a cinematographer um and although i don't think i write in any way like <laughs> like bresson's films are just the act of kind of thinking about uh, thinking about kind of image or the difference between images or the way uh, images can be kind of inserted or fragmented or, or whatever uh, and the idea of kind of restraint within that all those things I think contributed yeah contributed a lot to the style it does definitely have a bit of a Twin Peaks feel to it your book I think there's certainly that element of of you know of disappearance and you know, death and things like that. And yeah, I can very much see the Lynchian kind of element to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I really sort of, you know, I love I love Lynch's work. And I don't care who knows it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I watched Mulholland Drive was the kind of film that I sort of saw uh, around the time I was sort of 19 or something. And it was one of the kind of first you know, sort of art, art house or art, arty films or sort of whatever films I'd ever seen. And it had such a huge impact. And I was so fascinated by by the way that it was uh, structured and kind of then the kind of way that struck the two parts of it interacted. Yeah, Mahalan Drive, I think, is, is a really key text to me in that sense. Mm. With your 
book and your writing, I know this book took you quite a while to write and you told me before that, you know, you've published a few short stories, but with writing this book and persevering with it, with that process, what is your advice for up-and-coming writers? Uh, I think just fundamentally don't uh, don't give up. No, uh, you have to like I. I think one of the mistakes I made was I sent my book out way too early. Like uh, I think it was not uh, structured well enough or kind of edited well enough down. And so I would say keep you know like it, you can afford to wait because you know it's going to be months before anyone replies back to you. So I think yeah, the kind of editing and continue editing or continue thinking about the work you can work on something else afterwards you know at the same time i i like to kind of do that work on something and edit something else uh and then and then just don't give up no you have to keep sort of sending it out i think the autodidas was uh i don't even know how many times it was rejected because i just like <laughs> i couldn't bear sort of keep account of it now and i was really at the i was at the point where i was you know i taken so long that I kind of almost finished the sort of second book and I was going to be like okay this book okay it's just you know I had to write it but uh nobody wants to read it <laughs> so uh, and then I sort of sent it to, to Whiskey Tit and uh yeah incredibly <laughs> they, they wanted to publish it uh and yeah it seems there's been some nice reactions to it so mm. yeah amazed by it all yeah i think they're doing a great job over at whiskey tit um yeah it's fantastic it must be great working with them oh yeah yeah it's so uh so cool and so kind of um invested in kind of our authors and it's such a kind of diverse range of sort of interests uh, i'm yeah in the process of kind of reading Kind of through the back catalog and everything yeah i'm sort of enjoying everything at the moment so yeah it's great it's great they're really really putting together something special i think yeah yeah no they certainly are i think it's just great work they're putting out uh with that i want to ask you about the second novel do you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah uh, i mean it's sort of uh up in the air at the moment but um it's a complete reaction, I think, in many ways to sort of uh, the autodidacts. Uh, it's, I sort of wanted to see if I could do something that I enjoyed that was more sort of, that had a kind of uh, plot driven edge to it. <laughs> I don't know, but I wanted to sort of make something uh, that was entertaining. I, I don't know what I'm saying really, but uh, it's, it's very different. It's kind of, it's still on a, I think, on a sentence level and on a kind of granular level, the same interests and kind of the abstraction kind of applies, but it's a sort of literary, speculative, noir. Yeah. Sounds uh, good. Around like um, the invention of a, of a new antidepressant. <laughs> that's, that's, it's sort of, uh, so there's, yeah, I don't know. I'm sort of excited about it, but I'm nervous now because it was in many ways kind of, uh, I was writing it in the midst of getting all these kind of rejections mm. and a lot of you know if I got a sort of personalized rejection it would be like you know <laughs> what is this even about or like where is this story what's the story here what are you yeah. trying to say like well 
you know, it's the structure. <laughs> it doesn't sort of sound so entertaining, mm. uh, but it's sort of works. You know? uh, so, yeah, it's it's in, and I hope I hope it's good. <laughs> That's all I can sort of say at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. I'm really looking forward to that. Hope Miet gets onto it nice and quickly. She should have uh, it out by uh, next week, knowing her. <laughs> yeah, they've put out a lot of lot of good work. Well, very quickly. Yeah. One of the, um, I guess, really big selling points for me on your novel, not a, like it's got a great cover, but on the back of the on the back of the book, you've got Dennis Cooper talking up your work, which is pretty fantastic. Oh uh, yeah, I'm, it's I'm so sort of uh, you know it's such a, a nice thing for him <laughs> to have done, and Dennis has always been you know he's incredibly sort of supportive of of, uh, of writers in general and. I he actually the first thing I ever published, one of the very few things I've ever published was a was a short story that he put in um in a anthology called Userland. He must I don't know how many years old that must be now, maybe fifteen, maybe more years old since it came out. And that was the very first thing I ever had sort of published. Uh and that really gave me like, okay, maybe you know, maybe I can sort of maybe I can do some writing or something and then uh, you know, uh, I sent the book out. It was rejected for like five, six years, maybe more. I don't mm. know. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> then, you know, I sort of asked, oh, would you kind of have a read of it? Uh, it was getting published. And yeah, he wrote the kind of, uh, yeah, really nice love for it. It was yeah, really kind of <laughs> very sort of moving for me because I'm such a fan of his work yeah. in general. Yeah, it's a massive compliment, and I think coming from someone like Dennis, it makes you know it, it it puts this book in the in the arms of a lot of people, and I think a, a lot of people should go out and read it because it is something pretty special. I think. Thank you so much. One thing that also I found really interesting was one of the uh, titles of your uh, sections in the book is um, the Lupe Velez incident incident experience. Lupe Velez experience. And um, she's a fascinating character, and she doesn't really come up in the in the actual section. But do you want to tell us about, I guess, that title of that section? And yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. This is one of those sort of instances that's kind of pretty lifted, I think, from from sort of uh, when I was kind of younger. We had like a me and my friend. We had a kind of in conceptual bag. Like, I can imagine, you know, we couldn't really play any instruments. Mm. Uh, uh, we sort of dragged a few people in that could occasionally, and we talked about being a kind of band a lot. <laughs> uh, kind of, uh, and I remember, I think my friend, he was telling me about Lupe Velez now and this kind of story that, uh, which I don't think now, kind of having done a bit of research afterwards, I don't know mm. if the story is necessarily true. And I think yeah. we might even have got this story from an episode of Fraser. <laughs> yeah. I think I think there may be a reference that I saw saw a few years later. That's right. I think it's actually in the first in the first episode. Yeah, <laughs> in the first episode. So yeah, like there were a lot of repeats of Fraser on it. <laughs> uh, channel for like before having yeah. to go to work or college or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so like yeah, we got obsessed with this kind of concept of like trying to do something kind of beautiful, or interesting, and fucking it up. Like yeah. And that the failure is is in itself, you know, the kind of tragically more interesting thing. Mm. So, 
yeah, the kind of story of Lupe Velez, who, at least in the kind of phrase of telling of it, is uh, wants to to be immortally beautiful and young, dresses up in a kind of a wedding dress, kind of arranges herself on the bed, but uh, the kind of has the pills that she has taken to OD interact badly with her stomach and she's found head first down the toilet yeah. covered mm -hmm. you know all the kind of stuff so yeah that was it was always going to kind of be i think a kind of uh a reference point for me because i think that's also you know the novel i think is kind of enacting a kind of failure in, mm -hmm. in my kind of in my sort of head the novel that's sort of uh what it's doing at kind of one level is kind of coming to terms with its own failure yeah. and that it was you know that it was trying to do something sound interesting in the process yeah. <laughs> well it got it dragged me in when i saw that title i was like oh, i've got to read this book now shall we talk about the gateway books what were some of the books that drew you into the world of literature Oof, you know uh, this was such a difficult uh such a difficult task uh and i thought i kind of organized it linearly i think um kind of it or influence or whatever uh, so I think the first two writers I was really kind of uh, into and kind of read all of their stuff uh, was kind of Yukio Mishima and uh, Dostoevsky. I think for me, it's sort of kind of looking back when you asked me this kind of question, when I knew this kind of question was coming up and kind of listening to the other shows, I thought about it a lot. And I suddenly realized, you know, actually, I've never really read for for plot, no, for kind of story, because, you know, the brothers Karamazov and they're idiots it's the kind of concepts or the ideas or, or things that always kind of drew, drew me to that kind of work uh, but the thing is there's no you know I haven't read them in like I don't know, how many other years 10 15 years but there's no sort of ambiguity in that in their sort of writing at all no like you have to wrestle with the kind of ideas they're sort of presenting but there's no sort of uh you know, it's, it's telling you all the time. So it took me a long time to sort of shake off that sort of influence, but I I loved, I loved their work a lot. It was really important to me. Uh, Temple of Adorno Pavilion by Yuko Mishima, I think was the, was the one that kind of drew me a lot to sort of thinking about aesthetics, I guess. Next kind of thing that was really, I got into, I think was the Atrocity Exhibition by J.G. Ballard. Mm. He's sort of one of the few English writers I can sort of I can sort of stand. I think uh, he was, and the Atrocity Exhibition was so interesting to me because it was so impenetrable, and yet I was so sort of fascinated with it. I couldn't work out what my fascination was entirely, and uh, sort of uh, the the obsession that sort of at the core of of, of every kind of sentence of that of that book uh yeah i was just really fascinated by it and then so that became a kind of influence because i really like sort of wanted to you know on one hand you had the kind of very like psychologically sort of telling of of mishima and dostoevsky and then this completely sort of abstract uh thing with ballad so i was trying to do something yeah, I started trying to write like Ballard all the time, but I couldn't escape sort of wanting to explain everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I sort of encountered, I guess, um, As I Lay Dying, which is a huge influence on, on the autodidacts. And I think, 
my justification for why it's written in the in the sort of style it's written. Uh, I loved As I Lay Dying because it kind of has, it gives this completely impossible language uh, to sort of uh, sort of rural working class uh, kind of characters, and it's it was very like I found it like in, incredibly moving just for that aspect, though that it kind of had this. Fluidity. I don't know. It was just something incredible for me to see, see a representation that had that sort of given that kind of force. So I wanted to do something similar. You know, because it had a had a notion of class and experimentation, which a lot of other books that I sort of had encountered didn't. You know, like J.G. Ballard is you know, family sort of middle sort of upper class kind of stuff, and his he's not interested in you know. So, so when I read the Faulkner was really like a, a big thing for me and then and then sort of yeah I, then I sort of started reading a lot of kind of American fiction and I started reading uh, I think a friend of mine let me frisk by Dennis Cooper uh, it was the first Dennis Cooper book I read and <laughs> he was like I don't know what to make of this like I gave it back I was like uh, like I was really found it quite sort of shocking like I really was like physically like oh, I'm finding this kind of which never happens to, to me with sort of literature and so I didn't read anything of his again for a while and then I I picked up try in a bookshop oh yeah I'm gonna give this another go and I loved things but the thing is I couldn't stop thinking about Frisk you know there were sort of passages I didn't kind of want to reread but the the, the sentences were so incredible you know and the kind of the sort of the structure or the kind of architecture of the book was so interesting but I, I couldn't stop sort of thinking about it and then I bought Chai which I think is the sort of most emotional of the kind of uh, of the of the, of the George Miles cycle or the one that kind of privileges emotion in a way and I was just fell in love with it and then I read everything well, I mm -hmm. read through kind of read through the rest of the kind of books that were available at the time and yeah just for me and through that, I sort of a recommendation from Dennis's blog was for the kind of trilogy of books called The Book of Lies by Agatha Christoph. If you haven't read that, you have I haven't to, read it yet. It's on really okay. So it's been oh, on my list to yeah. to read for ages. I haven't got it yet. It's in the uh, mail it's, apparently. It's really, really like amazing. That's when I sort of became more interested in the idea of kind of. Uh, how structure can kind of generate you know possibilities and ideas and that those kind of intuitions can be can feed into kind of you know the the story the story of it or can drive the story in a different way and then the other book that i thought about for the kind of gateway books is just because um i think i'm just talking about the sort of second novel there's a book i read when i was I don't know how old I read it. it. Must have been maybe eight or ten. But it's a series called "My Teacher Is an Alien." I remember those. Uh, have you read those? Yeah. I remember it had such a sort of. I've never stopped sort of thinking about the ending of mm. of that book. Or the conclusion. Yeah. Right? Anybody who's sort of familiar knows, like, um, at the end of the book, uh, you know, the aliens have decided that you know, Earth's too dangerous to let continue to evolve, so they need to kind of wipe it out. Mm. And, uh, you know, these kids that have kind of gone through these sort of adventures and uh, have 
through the help of some machine unlock the potential of their minds <laughs> and they are like uh, telepathic make this argument that you can't destroy uh, because there's only kind of one there's only kind of one of us uh, human evolution was too painful no we were all sort of telepathically connected but the mm. act of like evolving consciousness was too painful so that's why everybody's so fucked up <laughs> uh, it just it really sort of it it stayed me a lot this notion of kind of uh, yeah it's just a book that sort of stayed with me a lot and i think thinking about that idea of kind of what would I, I used to have an anxiety as well when I was a kid and would be like in um in congregation or whatever that what if somebody could read my mind mm. like so terrified yeah. of this possibility like oh no what if someone's reading my mind right now it was like a horror horror sort of uh thing in a sense and so I was the two kind of together that I and I, the idea of kind of you know consciousness being quite a sort of painful <laughs> coming into existence yeah i think it's influenced a lot uh sort of second novel mm. <laughs> so yeah i just wanted to throw that in cool my teacher is an alien that's the first time that's put that has ever been mentioned on here that's fantastic i have to get that for my daughter actually i'll do that uh, it's mind-blowing i think yeah what books are you currently reading or have you recently enjoyed or are you looking forward to Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll off the list, and you asked me sort of once. Uh, one of the books I really enjoyed as uh, was Olga Ravens' The Employees. Mm. I've sort of come across that. Yeah. Uh, Fernanda Melcher, probably pronouncing that terribly. Uh, Hurricane Season, which is incredible. I think South South American literature is so incredible like this i don't know there's so much good stuff coming out and fernando Valdez hurricane season it's like you've got to learn spanish mate <laughs> yeah i know i know <laughs> i know i know it's a really like it's it's a shame <laughs> <laughs> a deep and abiding shame that I really um and then i also read um twilight zone uh by nona fernandez uh which is really interesting uh and again I think actually the translator is the same, the same trans Natasha Wimmer. I think it's the same translator with the Bolaño books. Yeah, and it's just it's yeah, it's beautifully kind of poised. It's incredible, incredible. Um, then I think What Are You by Lindsay Lerman I found really interesting. Um, I read from Whiskey Tid uh, David Leo Rice's The New House, which mm. I thought was incredible. Yeah, really good, isn't it? Yeah, it's so in- it's such a so interesting the way he's managed to kind of invert no like because there's a kind of coming of age style which absolutely kind of reads and then the the content is so sort of uh has such an internal logic to it no i don't know i don't know how he sort of did it so it's it's really interesting to so i've been reading that and kind of bits of that uh, and then I think I wished my Dennis Cooper uh, came out this year. I think it's incredible. And what else? I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of what I've been sort of reading. My reading has really slowed since becoming a parent. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I think I'm now I'm trying to make much, because, you know, there's so little time. And I was like, oh, well, I should write. Or, yeah. No, I don't know. So it's, I'm really trying to make more of an effort to kind of uh, read. Mm. And I've been reading a few books that are going to come out uh, from Whiskey Pit soon as well, including 
uh, Troll by David Fitzgerald. Um, okay. It's really sharp. Uh, no, incredibly kind of written, I think. Not, as, like, not a boring sentence in the book. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Thomas Kendall. This episode is brought to you by our Lord and Saviour, Elon Musk. He's making Twitter a utopia for you and your family. Please support him on his mission. You can get 10% off your blue tick by using promo code AUTISTICJESUS at checkout. We're back on Beyond the Zero. It's time for Thomas's Desert Island Books. Desert Island books, I guess. Well, Book of Lies, uh, definitely. Like, I think it would be terrible if I didn't. <laughs> uh, I think Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. Uh, I chose it over the idiots. One because uh, over the idiots, even one because the idiots always. Uh, the the two or three times I've read it, I think, which uh, again must be like ten years ago or something, it depressed me so much. I don't know. It's like one of those few books I sort of read and I felt like. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get up now. Mm. Uh, and yeah, so the brothers Kalamazov, and I'm trying to think, oh no, sort of. I think the recognitions by William Gaddis because I read it kind of once through, and I was, you know, I it's incredible work, but I was exhausted mm. <laughs> by by the end of it that I felt like I need to kind of go through this again, but I don't know when I'm gonna have the sort of. Uh, the time, <laughs> the time, all the kind of will to, to go through it. But yeah, I'd like really would. That's a book I would really love to reread. Yeah, maybe I would also reread uh, Mishima's. He did a series of four, four books. I think it's called a Tetralogy or something, called The Sea of Fertility. Uh, and I read all of those, but by the time I sort of got onto the fourth one. I was kind of moving out of the phase, so I wasn't as uh, invested in it, I think, and because it becomes, yeah, it becomes quite sort of uh, particular, I think, as it goes on. But yeah, so I think those books, I would take. Okay, brilliant. And if you're going to take one Dennis Cooper book, which one is it? Oof. Uh, I guess the, the five books don't count, that sort of cycle don't count. I would yeah. take, I think I would take I Wish, actually, because... Uh, it's for me i think it actually is his his best uh there's so stylistically like there's something on every single sort of page or sentence that you go oh this is really interesting and the, and the way in which it kind of works within its kind of restraints and there's an incredible uh uh passage i've probably someone's mentioned it before like from santa claus's perspective in it uh and it's just it's so good. <laughs> I don't know. It's just so good uh, that I can't work out how, how how it's done. So yeah, so I would take that. Otherwise, otherwise, probably guide. I would say. Okay. Very cool. All right. Well, before we wrap this up, do you want to tell us where we can go and get in touch with you online, and also where we can go and buy the autodidacts? 
Well, you can buy, I think if you order Third Ice, you can get obviously directly from the publisher, I think is the preferred, <laughs> preferred method for, mm. for the publisher. And I think you can order it from most kind of bookshops uh, in sort of England or, or the US. Uh, so that's probably the easiest way to find it. Um, and what was the second? <laughs> where can we get to you online? Where can we get in touch? With uh, you? Where can we, uh, okay, well, I on sort of uh, Twitter, but I'm like I'm terrible with sort of online stuff because I, I sort of I don't want to sort of say anything. Yeah. <laughs> so I basically online. If you want to, if anybody wants to sort of message me and have a conversation, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. Uh, so please, you know, feel free, but. I don't post anything interesting. I just kind of like, oh, you know, uh, somebody said something nice. <laughs> it's really just kind of all like, if there's a work that I particularly like or something I've read, no, I just go, this is great. Yeah, uh, that's good. I not, I can't sort of, can't envision having a kind of online <laughs> sort of, I don't know, identity or persona or something. I think mm. it's, it's too terrifying. <laughs> cool well um i'll let you go but thank you so much for chatting uh i really recommend the autodidacts i think it's just great and um yeah please go and get it from whiskey tip it's really worth reading um thanks so much for coming on thomas it's been great speaking with you oh uh, yeah thanks man i i hope i <laughs> if i made some kind of uh coherent sense at some point but yeah it's been great to be on uh your wonderful host and yeah, this is a great show. Thank you for doing it. Thanks once again to Thomas Kendall. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BeyondTheZeroPod and you can email us at BeyondTheZeroPod at gmail.com. You can leave us a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash beyondzero and you can support this podcast by going to patreon.com and searching for Beyond the Zero. We'll be back with your next episode next week.